Dad, Corey LaJoy made uh, a lot of headlines and got his sponsor a lot of attention by having his hair and face cover his entire car. Uh, would you have ever wanted a sponsor with your entire face and hairdo covering your entire car? Yeah, that'd have been cool. We always said it didn't matter what what the deal was or who it was or what it was. We'd do anything or most anything to put whatever the sponsor wanted on the car. The best the best Corolla Joy deal is time Sterling Marlin had those pantyhose things on. What was that stuff? Slim Slimline or something? I forget. We have to look that up. Hold on to your butts. It's the Mast Cast. Well, as we promised, we are indeed back. We we made it back for another episode of Mast Cast. I'm Ricky Mast, and my former Cup Driver Series father, Rick Mast, here as well. And um, in keeping in line with our with what we were talking about last week, and focusing on the positives, there was a whole lot of positive to, positives to focus on from the Daytona 500. Wouldn't you agree, Dad? Oh yeah, it was. It, I think I've tweeted out it was probably one of the best 500s we saw in a while. You know, the neat part was, since everybody always talks about Nielsen ratings, did you see the Nielsen ratings? They were a lot better, a lot higher, and I did. all that stuff. So this is one week we'll talk about the Nielsen ratings. Yeah, there you go. What, all right, what is your first – I think what we want to do, kind of focus on, like I've written down, written down a few like cool things or positive things from the from the 500 and from the weekend speed weeks in general um but what what what, what's the first thing that jumps out to you from this entire entire deal the 500 and just how it all went for me it was the victory celebration at stake and shake with joe gibbs and i'll tell you why i say that you saw that did you see that i did race i did all right where gibbs with some of the guys went to stake and shake and that's what they ate and he said that you know, he started that tradition when he won the first 500. He didn't know what to do, so they left the track, and they were hungry. He stopped at Stake and Shake, so he did it again. And the reason that re- reason that holds a little bit to me is, or means a little bit to me, is when I, when I would go to Daytona, Johnny Hayes, you remember Johnny Hayes? He first time I went down there, he said, "Man, when you get there, you got to go to Stake and Shake." He, I said, "Why?" He said, you "Just got to do that." So the first time I, I went, I got off. He said, "That's the first thing you do when you get off the plane." So I got off the plane, went to Stake and Shake. Well, lo and behold, there there were the Wood Brothers in there eating, right? So we had a big time in there for a couple hours with those guys. And then you'd leave there and go across the street and get you some hot ones at the Krispy Kreme. Well, then it it just kind of became a tradition. When you go to Daytona, you get off the plane, or us it was, first thing we'd do, we'd go to that little steak and shake restaurant right there and eat. And it was always, you'd always find somebody there. Most of the time it would be the Wood Brothers and or one of the Bonnie Brothers, Terry and or, or Bobby. So, you know, that was just... For me, it was kind of a tradition thing, and then for him to do that after the race and share in with a few fans that actually were lucky enough to be there and, and see all that, it was it was a deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It was, I was on the um, the PETM uh, racing podcast last week with those guys, which we always enjoy. You've been on with them a couple of times, and I enjoy going on with those guys. Uh, they're based here in Atlanta, where I am also. And uh, I had mentioned, uh, I, they had me on, I was kind of talking about some memories growing up of, of going to Daytona and getting ready to go to Daytona and that whole deal. And I mentioned that how, like, that was one of my favorite things, memories, was like when I would first get down there off the plane, going to Steak and Shake. Like, you had to go to Steak and Shake, and then you go to Krispy Kreme, get the hot ones. And they were, like, in a, in a funny way, were giving me a hard time. Like, really? That was your big thing, huh? Going to Steak and Shake. I don't remember exactly how they put it. You can you can go back and listen to their, their show here, but... They were like, that was that was the big memory, going to Steak and Shake. And I didn't really know how to explain it exactly. It's like, well, it was just kind of a it was a tradition thing. And it was just something, it was just part of it. And it was something we all just really looked forward to. And it wasn't just us. And you just you just alluded to it there. It was it was just kind of a thing in the garage area. And it's it's cool to see, for me, to, to your point, because uh, you retired in, let's see, 2002. Here it is, 2019. And it was cool to see that that's sort of a tradition that still can, that still carries on, or at least Joe Gibbs is, is decided to keep carrying on. I thought that that was, uh, that was cool. I can't remember. I saw somewhere on Twitter, it might have been Ryan McGee, somebody said, you know, that steak, that Daytona steak and shake has become the stuff of NASCAR lore and legend. You know, it's just it's just a thing. You just got to go there when you get there. You it's, just have to. It is. It's a thing. I mean, it, there's, a lot, there's a few places like it down there. And it, I mean, the, the, the Oyster Decks one you go to, you had to go to the North Turn Restaurant, you know, 
then Portofino, I think the Italian thing you had to go to. And one one time a period I understand before I really got got going, everybody went to a place called the Sharks Lounge. Right, that was like in the seventies, maybe in the eighties. I'm not sure. I didn't do that one. That was one of the deals. I think it's off the chart now. It's not. It's not on the on the map anymore. The Sharks yeah. Lounge. That either sounds like the the ballet, as you call it, the gentlemen's club, or I or you said the seventies. I got like a picture of like a like a bar like Henry Hill's bar in Goodfellas or something like an old seventies dive kind of, uh, kind of bar or something. Is that kind of what it was just like a bar? Is that what it supposedly was? The yeah, it was a bar slash, uh, a ballet club. Ah, yeah. I see. Yeah. I had yeah. a feeling. Yeah. yeah. See, I don't even, I've never even, that's the first time I've ever heard that, but that just sounded like, sounded like it could be. So, well, yeah. All right. So I, I let's, let's see. All right. So positive. Let's see. Celebrate <laughs> Joe Gibbs celebration at steak and shake. That's one. All right. Here's mine. My, my next one. I got a list here. Um, it did not turn into the single file thing. All the naysayers were sure that it would, you know, there were people, there were people, and I I ain't calling anybody in particular out here because there were a couple people in my mentions on Twitter that were saying this before the race started. And I don't, I'm not, not calling anybody out. I'm really not because I was seeing it all over the place. Right. Or people that were already mad about the race before it had even started or even happened. Because they were right. sure it was going to go like the Xfinity Series race, where it was just there wasn't going to be much passing, a lot of single file. And another little point, a little side point about that, about the Xfinity Series race, I watched that race and I came away from. And listen, I don't know, I don't know Michael Annette, never met him, don't know what kind of guy he is, but I came away from that going, wait a minute, this is this guy's first win, and he's been trying for. I know, I at least know he's been around for a while, and he's been trying eight, ten years, whatever, to get a win and something, and this was his first win. I turned off the TV, watch, came away from that race going, oh, that was cool. Like, from a sports side, I was entertained that a guy finally broke through, got his first win. It was for Junior Motorsports. I thought that was pretty cool. Then I, I, I hop on Twitter, and you would have thought we just witnessed the worst auto racing experience of anybody's lives because there wasn't enough passing and there was all this whining and stuff. And I'm just like, man, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I don't need to see constant. I mean, yeah, you want to see as much passing as possible. But for me, I guess maybe I look more towards some of the, the story sometimes. And that I thought that, to me, a guy breaking through after trying for years and years and winning his first race, that to me is a good enough entertaining story for me to be satisfied. But that's that's beside the point. The 500 was not that way. There was definitely plenty of passing. Um, I thought it was interesting that Jim France uh, said what in the driver's meeting that he hoped some people were going to go down to the inside and try to pass like Chase and some of the other guys. That that was that was interesting. What are your are your thoughts on the racing itself? And then also, wait, what were your thoughts on Jim France saying that in the drivers' meeting? What'd you make of well, that? Well, well, I, I tell you, when when I heard that, I'm like, oh boy, oh boy. I heard it, or I, first I read it, what it was said. Then somebody finally posted the audio, and I listened to it, and I'm like, oh man, people. People don't understand what that means. I mean, he said, and at the very end of his, you know, he's giving his little speech, and for the people that didn't hear it, at the very end, he says, "Now I hope some of you guys will maybe drop down to the bottom with Chase and uh, uh, who was the other guy who kept going to the bottom, Chase and." Uh, oh yeah, there was because he he mentioned him who and I'm yeah. it's, I'm, I'm oh, it's, man, it's, it's I can't remember now too. Yeah. Anyhow, when he said that, I mean, my whole. I'm not saying my whole world turned, but I'm sitting here thinking, oh boy, people do not, people out in Twitter land and race fan land don't realize what that, those few words meant. And I'm going to tell you what those words meant, Ricky, because I'll tell you why. And I, it struck me and my first thoughts were, oh boy, this is big. And then I had, I've had some communications with some guys since then. Okay. Rod, Jerry, you uh, on the phone and Twitter or not Twitter, but messages and to me, what what he said, those few little words, he didn't say, or he said drop down, hope some of you guys drop down. That's not what he was saying. What he was saying is, boys, there's a new sheriff in town. And if any of you remember Bill Jr., the way he ruled this sport, Bill Jr. the second is here, and my name is Jim France. And when you drop down, so basically what he's saying is, Guys, all you guys get your shit together. We're all in this together that we're going to make this work with or without you. That's basically what he was saying. He was saying a lot of things, man. When he said that, basically the the big thing that I took from it, he's saying, you know, there's a new sheriff in town. We're going to run this sport with the iron fist the way we used to run it. We're going to run it the way 
that everybody's accustomed to it being run for years that, that got it to where it got to in, in a big time stage. And, you know, I don't know it, what, what was a little bit weird is some of the guys it seemed like nobody really picked up on it because there were other people writing about it. Didn't pick up on what he was really being, what he was really saying. Cause I never read it anywhere, but you bet your butt this, the guy sitting in that driver's meeting, they understood other people, long timers, guys in that sport, they understood exactly what he meant because the reason I say that is I did verify that, all right, because mm-hmm. that's the way I took it, and I verified it with some people in the garage area by, by what he was saying there, and everybody, everybody, everybody took heed and took notice to Jim France speaking, and uh, to me, to me, that was the biggest thing, of course, going to the Shark, uh, Sharks Lounge, going to Shake and Shake was big, <laughs> but to me, that was the biggest thing that happened at Speed Weeks, Ricky. Uh, the sad part is a lot of people that, 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 that report on our sport, I don't think picked up on it, or if they did pick up on it, they didn't, they didn't elaborate on that. Right. Do you understand what I'm saying? I do. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what it's like to, to cover the sport. So I don't know, like, I, I don't know. Are, are reporters, are they in, do they know, are they are they able to be able to, like even if they cover the sport cover it constantly are, are they able to infer something like that from from well, Jim France as well as a driver or a driver could I'm, that seems like just, I'm gonna play I'm just playing devil's advocate here I'm not disagreeing yes, with yeah, you yeah, I'm just right, saying okay. is that kind of can a reporter really pick up all that all that you just said there from that one statement from Jim France in fairness maybe not in 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 and, and and here's the other thing they don't have anything to back it up if if they did pick that up. Then if they if they write about it, <clears throat> they don't really have facts. Or they don't really have anything to back that up, other than going to some people in the garage area and, and asking them, "Hey, did you did you did you pick up something more than than what Jim Prince just said?" So from 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 their standpoint, maybe maybe not. You know, and, I, and I'm not being critical of them. I'm just saying, you know, that that, that you know because they may have they may have thought it and may yeah. have felt that but they don't have anything to back that up okay well, that, well that's why Say you're that. here you can report this well, yeah. and you can well, say it, see? you know it, it's, yeah. it's real similar you know i can give you dozens and dozens of instances with bill jr through the years uh it was real similar to we went to indy for the first year rick and i was on the pole and Earnhardt was on the outside pole and you know so much excitement and everything built up bill france jr got up in front of all of us and and, and, and thanked everybody for being there and very simply he says the boys he said when they dropped the green flags and y'all go all down in turn one, do not embarrass our sport. Okay? That's all he said. And every single driver in that garage area knew exactly what he said. He was basically saying, this is a big-time deal for us. Do not go down in the first turn and wreck on the first lap and act like a bunch of jack legs and idiots. Make this a good, competitive race, and don't screw up. Act, act professional, drive professional, you know? But he, he would do that. I mean, Bill Jr. would do that. He you know, And I had a lot of conversations with Bill Jr. over the years. And, and you get to know him and you get to understand, you know, kind of where he was coming from and what he meant. And, you know, it was such an iron fist that he ruled, uh, the way he ruled, that you, it was just kind of understood by all the competitors, you know, what, what, what the deal was. And I think, you know, we've kind of been lost for a while. Some of the guys and drivers and all, you know, they, they don't have that and haven't had that, I don't think. Uh you know, somebody in that position to, to really state, this is my sport. You know, we built this sport. We built this sport a certain way, and this is the way this sport's going to be run, and this is the way you're going to conduct yourselves, and we're going to give you guys everything y'all need to make this sport what it needs to be. And, uh, you know, I, I, I really think we've been lost in that for a little while. And, and those few, few little simple words from Jim France, I think, is going to go – they're going to go a long ways. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I think that's a huge positive. Him just being there and being on site and being present and being seen and being heard is a huge positive, you know. And I don't know with with Brian in charge. I don't know if that we were that we really had that necessarily. But I think that I do like what you're saying there. That it's kind of like he's kind of return trying to return things to that Bill Junior style. And uh, I thought that was a a huge positive. By the way. I looked up who the other driver was that he was talking about, drive, you know, going down to the inside. Yeah, uh, it was Denny Hamlin. 
was Did the other one. Yeah, that's so, right. That's right. which is perfect, you know, who actually won the race. The 500 winner, yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so, I, don't, I, don't need, I don't mean to be knocking Brian or any of the hierarchy in, in NASCAR. There's some good guys here. Mike Hilton, of course, has, has stable, kept, he's been the stable force of this sport for in the garage for a number of years, and we've truly been lost without him the last few years. But, you know, now we have somebody that uh, I think is, is – and here's the other thing, Jim France – when he, I mean, he already had the respect of most people in the garage area. The people that knew him, that that, that had the opportunity to know him, you know, he he's just one of those kind of dudes, man. He just he just commands respect, you know, the kind of person he is. And uh, you know that to me, that was just so so big for the weekend. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, telling those guys to get down low, I mean, that was a good. Day. And how cool is that? Tells Denny Hamlin to do it. Denny Hamlin wins the Dadgum race. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Forgot to put your phone on silent there, didn't you, Dad? I, uh-huh. I don't know. I've got to make sure I see the. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. I think I did. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. okay. Are we good? <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know. We'll see if it rings again. Oh, okay. Flip the, button up, flip the button the other way. Okay. All right. Well, that that the uh, Denny Hamlin winning brings me to my next uh, positive. And you, we'd sort of alluded to it there with Joe Gibbs, but uh, the win for J.D. Gibbs. In the memory of J.D. Gibbs, I thought that that was a cool, that was just a cool deal. It's a cool story, you know. It was such a sad deal what he endured the last, you know, the, towards the end of his life there, and um, that he he passed away a few weeks ago. But to win for J.D. in the eleven car, you know, they had the the tribute on lap eleven, and then to win in the the eleven car, that that was uh, that was pretty darn cool. That was my that was my next uh, positive. What do I didn't even. You now never talked about this. What do you? Did you ever have much interaction with JD, or did you know him at all, or what was your relationship with him? Yeah, let me start off by saying, and everybody, everybody was reading, and all the fans out here listening, everybody was reading and hearing about all the the good vibes sent to JD by everybody in the garage area, talking about what a good dude he was. And let me, I'm he truly was what everybody said he was. I mean, he was just such a such a good human being. First time I met JD, if we go back to 1997 or eight, I believe it was 1998. I went to, I went to the Bob Bondurant Road Racing Driving School out in Phoenix, somewhere somewhere in Arizona, it's a town, Firestone maybe. But anyhow, and I tell you the reason I did it. You know, we all everybody runs on road courses, and you try to do the best you can. Well, word got out that our, our leader Earnhardt. And went to this driving school a year before. Right? Come to find out it was a Bondurant deal. It was a guy by the name of Bill Cooper. He was he was the actual instructor. So when people heard that Earnhardt did this, then that kind of opened the floodgates. We're like, okay, if Earnhardt can do it, we can all do it. <laughs> so anyhow, I go out there to do this school thing. It was really cool, cool experience, actually. And uh taught me some stuff I didn't really know. But but anyhow, when I get there, we sit down in the classroom, it's probably I don't know, maybe five or six of us in the classroom before we actually start driving. I look over, and there is J.D. and Corey Gibbs, uh, Joe Gibbs' sons. And I had seen them, but never really introduced myself to them. So anyhow, we were out there for that driving school, and I forget now how many days, maybe two, three days, whatever it was. Well, during that time period, I got to know these two guys real well. You know, hung out with them. We did stuff and just, just had a very, very big good time, right? And uh, got to know the, both those guys real well. And I could tell at the time, J.D. was, man, he was 100% dialed into the deal. Coy didn't seem to be as dialed into it as, as J.D. And I think Coy was kind of doing, wanting to do some more stuff with his dad with the football. You know, his dad later on did the coach to get into Redskins. And I think he was part of that. But J.D. was... He stayed true to the racing and became a big part of that deal or the race team. So anyhow, through the years, then after that, then you, just from that two or three days with those guys, you, you just you just felt like I, or I did. I just felt like J.D. Gibbs was was a good friend of mine. And anytime I'd see him at the racetrack or whatever, you know, we'd carry on a conversation. The funny part about it, I don't know, two or three weeks after that, I went up to Joe or he came up to me. He said, Rick, he said, I got to thank you. I said, for that, Joe. He said, thank you for looking after my boys out there at that road course. They said you was, you was with them there a lot, and I just want to thank you for looking after them. I said, well, uh, they were probably looking after me as much as I was looking out for those guys, right? But uh, he was just, uh, you know, you know, when you get around somebody for a little bit of time, Ricky, you, sometimes you, you just kind of 
bond with them and sometimes you don't. Well, J.D. was one of those kinds, if you was with him, I don't care who you were, you were going to bond with him. And if you didn't, that was a problem you had that he sure didn't have. So over the years, he commanded yeah, he just he just commanded again. We keep talking about this command and respect here. The last couple mass casts, and he was one of those guys that did that just because he was such a genuine, good human being. And then, you know, I heard years ago he's having troubles, and you know, when I'd go to the racetrack and visit people, and uh, I talked to I talked to Joe one time about him. I talked to some crew guys about him, and they all would tell me the same thing. It's a you know, very very obscure. Uh, obscure disease and he was fighting it and it was, it was, it was not a good deal and it was troubling to everybody in the family, but their faith in God is so high that, you know, I'm sure that's what helped him withstand that. But, uh, you know, I know he, I know he was, he, he suffered for a long time before, before, uh, he was called home. Yeah. Well, it just, you know, if, if, um, you know, it's, it's a sad story, but if there could be a little bit of a happy, ending to a sad situation it was the 11 car winning um and and coach gibbs you know celebrating at stake and shake afterward and um and the, the, you know the, when they should they did the close-up on him uh during lap 11 on coach on, on pit road i thought that was really that was that was pretty touching i thought of him with his eyes closed you know presumably saying a prayer um yes. and then the interview after yes. the race that was i that that was that was really really cool and i you know and I did see, I don't mean to laugh, but I did see one or two of the conspiracy theorists out there saying that this, that they rigged it for the 11 car to win because of all that. And I'm just like, oh man, come on. Sometimes, you know, sometimes <laughs> things are just, they just, I don't even meant to be. Sometimes it just works out that way that, you know, yeah. that it just, the, the story can have kind of a nice ending to it. You know, yeah, that, that's all. Exactly. It just, that's it's all. just that simple sometimes. It's that simple. The the only other story to Ben feel good would have been if uh, Matt D. Bentonetti very close. I'm glad you know. I literally have that next on my list. You and I didn't compare any of this. That was literally next on my list, and I was getting ready to transition to it. And Matt Di Benedetto <laughs> and his Di run. Benna, Matt Di Benedetto. Hey, I think you got it. Yeah. All right, I'm just going to take did, that clip, and we'll just plug that in every time you try to say it from now on. Well, it's a, it's a that would have been a feel good story because of Levine family, right? And then Matt and his struggles. Didn't Matt start out with Ron Levine, I believe, with the Dr Pepper car years ago? I think that's when I first uh, met him. Believe yeah, that's where he first came in. He was definitely yeah. there for a bit. Yeah, it's the first time I remember hearing about. It. I'm not yeah, saying that, that was his first, but it might have been. Yeah. Yeah, he was. I was like, I was at Richmond and I met him through Ron Levine. He was driving. I think his dad was there. His family, real, real, real cool people. Real nice people, you know. So for them guys, those guys to run like that, it was a cool deal, you know. Yeah, and but, he kind of, as he put it, you know, he, as he put it himself, I believe, toward when he left the the thirty two car, he said, you know, he was he was betting on himself to try to find something a little bit better, a little bit more competitive for him, and he he believed he found it. And for them to come out of the box like that and lead a lot of the thing and have you know have a chance to win, uh, I mean, up until they got caught up in one of the big wrecks there uh that that was very very cool a lot of really good exposure for those guys and the way he handled the way it ended in his post-race interview i mean he was still cool and upbeat and he's got a cool personality and social media presence and all that anyway so see them their 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 time together the 95 team and, and matt di benedetto to start that way was really really cool that was that was yeah. a very big positive takeaway again even a little bit not the same situation at all but it kind of reminded me a little bit of you as a rookie in the in obviously I know he's not a rookie he's been around for a few years but right you and an unsponsored Travis Carter number 66 car in 1989 leading the Daytona 500 with a chance to win it like getting that exposure getting that exposure as an underfunded or just an independent team I guess you should say single car team that's that's it's pretty cool it's hard to put a price on that I think yeah, it was, it, you know, he, and I don't know the tickers, I don't know the insides and outs, but but just what you read, him leaving, you know, I guess he had a job. He had a job for this year, drive, to stay where he was at and to take a chance, just stop, just saying, you know, this is not working, I can't do this, and just to walk away from that. You ba you basically walk away from a paycheck when you do that without without a safety net, right? And, and supposedly that's what he did, you know, then it worked out. But here's the other thing, you know, we see so many people go to Daytona and, cars that, that are single car teams and because of the draft and the rules and all that you see every you know each race you'll see somebody like that it seems like you know pulling a move like that and running real good running up front and having a chance to win and then but then you think okay when they get to Atlanta next week and then race after that you know then things equal back out and 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 the the, the disparity will be there right 
with this deal here, I'm, you know, sitting there looking at that, and I'm not sure that it's going to work out like that because, you know, I knew it was a, I knew it was a Gibbs, or they're using, put it that way, but I didn't know, you know, how big a deal or how much they're using of theirs if it's going to, if it's a deal like, like Furniture Row was. But then when you when we listened to the interview, uh, Matt said, you know, my teammates, he was talking about helping his teammates, uh, Hamlin and, well, all of Gibbs' cars, and they were his teammates. So I'm like, you know what, this might be another one of those type deals. So it's going to be, for me, it's going to be very, very interesting to see if that car performs like that in these races coming up. You know, if it, if it does, man, that's a shot in the arm for a lot of people because that's a team that, you know, nobody counted on doing anything, and it, it – so anyhow, I'm kind of excited to see what goes on with that bus. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, and we alluded to it at the at the beginning um, of the show here on MassCast, but the the team that he left, the 32 team with Corey LaJoy now, good on them for for the the sponsorship deal. Like with the the funny paint scheme with his hair and the mouth was you know his mouth was the, the grill. And by the way, if you didn't see it, NASCAR Chasm, who is I think the, probably the most must follow of anybody on Twitter and NASCAR Twitter. He had a lot of fun with that, with photoshops and gifts and stuff of, of the car and the, and the grill and everything. So go check that out if you didn't see it. You probably did, but if you haven't, go check it out. But I'll good on the. I tell you, well, I, to interrupt you, Trick, and I'm sorry, but how it affected me. Yeah. I went Monday, bought me a dang bottle of Old Spice Head Head and Body Wash. There you go. So well, that's sure the point. Did. And you know what? I, I had to buy something. I was looking and like, oh, Old Spice, I'll buy that. And you know what? <clears throat> and not only did they get a ton of exposure out of that, a little, uh, an you know, a, a small team that's not. And they, even they were saying, you know, Corey LaJoy was saying, acknowledging it's like, you know, they know they're not intention to win or anything. But to get that that amount of publicity and exposure, and guess what? That because of how well that went at Daytona, Old Spice is going to be on the car again this weekend in Atlanta, and that's the whole deal right there. That's how it works. You know, you come up with an idea, Mark. Again, this is my marketing side coming in, but you come up with an idea that gets you more exposure than you would ever normally get, and not only did you get all that exposure, it's it's you've gotten more funding because of it. You got another race of funding out of it, so. That's another positive. That's a, that's a, that was a good thing to see. That, that a sponsorship agreement worked for the 500, and it worked so well that they get it. They get you know more money for this week, and that's great. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So let's see. Where, where's where are we at on my list of positives here? Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. So this is one that was a this is a big positive um, for me, and I don't know how much of this you saw. Um, but NASCAR having apparently entered into whatever, if it's a partnership or a sponsorship agreement or whatever it is with Barstool Sports, to me. Explain Barstool School Sports. Yeah. I, 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 mean, I was watching all that stuff, and I, I guess I'm not on that just yet. Yeah, okay. So Barstool Sports is, it's been around for a little while now, but it's gotten a lot more popular here the last couple of years. It's. At its core, it is basically like a website blog, a sports website and blog, where there's just a lot of funny or, or meant-to-be funny articles written, and there's a lot of them are pretty blue and pretty raunchy. I mean, that's that's kind of the that's kind of where where they tend to be, or the space that they're in. Um, but beyond that, they have a bunch of they have their Sirius XM channel. They have a lot of personalities, basically. So they've got their radio shows and then they've got a bunch of podcasts including by all accounts the most popular sports podcast going right now and pardon my take which i'm a i'm a avid listener of pardon my take myself it's very funny um they're just a huge brand at this point i mean it started years and years really it started of 15 20 years ago the founder who was at daytona dave portnoy aka uh, el prez he uh, he started it out of Boston, and it was an actual print like newspaper, kind of like the Onion, not not parody, but just meant to be okay. kind of an irreverent, funny take on sports. And it's now, of course, since morphed into the website and blog, and now it's and they sell a ton of T-shirts and merch, and they've got all kinds of different things going basically. But they're a pretty big deal, um, and I follow a lot of their accounts and everything. And again, I listen to their podcasts, so. When I first saw that uh, El Prez, he tweeted out that he was going to be in Daytona, I thought, oh, that's interesting. NASCAR has gotten gotten hooked up with, with Barstool here. And I'll tell you what's interesting to me, to me Dad. Like I, like, I follow Barstool and some of their accounts on Instagram, right? And, you know, if you're scrolling through Instagram, you can click on any post and you can look and see, like, if you wanted to go through the entire list of everybody who's liked that post, you can. But if you're just scrolling through Instagram – 
you'll see like the picture or whatever and it'll say how many people have liked it but at the beginning it'll say such and such liked it such and such liked it and 10,000 others right so first basically it'll be like a couple people that you follow will be the first two that show up when i see barstool posts often the ones that i'm seeing that are liking it chase elliott is one that likes a lot of barstool posts and then the others it's it's interchangeable but it's a lot of people that i'm friends with just personally or, or whatever who are in their 20s and younger and a lot of females surprisingly which that's one of the knocks on barstool is that they're misogynistic and chauvinistic and in some ways maybe they are i don't know but but a lot of young women follow a lot of young people follow barstool and are stoolies as they call them and keep up with them and there's a lot of people that i think traditionally we would consider to be potential nascar fans and i think there's a lot of young people there that are sports fans that maybe aren't nascar fans that are following Barstool, and then if Barstool is invested in NASCAR, maybe they start following NASCAR because of Barstool. And I'm not saying Barstool is the savior by any means. To me, what was so what was such a positive about it was I think it's a great way, that's a great indicator that, okay, the people that are now running or in charge of trying to market NASCAR and get it going back in the right direction, that to me was a big sign of of they they get it. They know what they're doing. That's The, the partnership with Barstool could could prove to be huge it really could that's not the only thing again they're not the same not going to be the savior of nascar but if that's their line of thinking it's like okay we need to go after these different types of partnerships and advertising deals that, that could be beneficial i think that's the kind they should be looking towards and i saw i saw a lot of people online on, on you know and again social media is where i work that is my sports social media is is my world and uh, I saw a lot of people that I know wouldn't have ordinarily been talking about the Daytona 500, talking about it and paying attention to it because Barstool was posting, because Dave Portnoy, the president, was posting, because the guys from Pardon My Take were posting about it. They had on the, the today's episode of Pardon My Take, Denny Hamlin was the guest on there. Uh, Denny and Chase were on, and Corey LaJoy were on various Barstool, uh, as were other guys, Blaney, uh, I think one of the Dillons, they it's a pretty. It was a very, very big positive for me to see this partnership, and they need to explore more things like that. And I saw where there's going to be. I think they're going to, they're going to have the Prez, or Dave Portnoy. He's going to be at Bristol and Talladega, also. So to me, I saw that and I thought this is huge because it's it's whether you love them or hate them, Barstool can move a needle. All right. Now there are some people that absolutely hate them, and I get that. I'm not going to disparage you for that, but they move the needle. So to me, yeah. big positive, yeah. big positive. Yeah. Well, they're they're you know they keep telling us what I, they indicate what what I'm hearing what I'm getting from my insiders I guess you'd say is, is everything's on the table they're doing they're you know they're after everything they're going they're going after everything and you know it's just uh, <clears throat> my take on this whole thing Ricky is with, with like with what you just said about barstool and a lot of the things on the, in the works behind the scenes and then Jim France stepping up and then. The race we had, I mean, this is, pro this is probably the most momentum we've had in a number of years out of Daytona, man. It really is. And then, you know, if, if this new rules package does what everybody's thinking it's going to do, or at least hoping it's going to do, then that just builds the momentum. Because NASCAR's like this big, this, NASCAR, what I've noticed is like a snowball, man. It, You know, when I came along, you had, you had a little, you had some sleet and some ice, you know, and you had <clears throat> maybe just enough just enough accumulation to make a little tiny snowball, you know, maybe the size of a marble. And, and, and all through the, the late 80s, all through the 90s, early 2000s, when I got out, a little pebble of snowball turned into this, into this giant, giant snowball that was just self, self, what's the word I'm looking for? Self-perpetuating? Uh, self, it starts with a P. Yeah, self, <laughs> uh, not propelling, it's like building on itself. Oh, yeah, crap. Where yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Self, so, oh, this is going to drive me crazy. Is it, is it perpetuating? Self, no. let me just tell you. <laughs> no, not self-preservation. No, no, no. Perpetuating. Anyhow, is perpetuating. that it? Perpetuating. That's what I was trying to say, Okay, man. all right. Anyhow, that snowball just got bigger and bigger, and it was hard. Once that thing started getting bigger and had momentum, it was hard, really, to derail it. I mean, you couldn't even stop the darn thing. It just kept growing and growing and growing. And then... You know, some, sometime around 2010 through the last eight, nine, ten years or whatever, that thing just started melting, right? And we, we got back down to that, that marble-sized snowball. But what I see that coming out of Daytona is that thing built up about the size of a, of a baseball. And it, it's starting for that trek down the hill of, of grabbing snow and getting bigger and bigger. And, you know, 
all the things that's going on, all the things that's happening, the, the actual race we had itself, and all the personalities, all the stuff NASCAR's trying to do, the new stuff that's in the works coming down the pike. You know, I, I tell you, it's the best I've felt for our sport in a long time. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I, I, you know, I was thinking about that too. And, and as I said, you know, I work in baseball, I work in social media and, you know, working with the Braves and part of, part of that job is kind of knowing, because when you're posting something online on behalf of a team or MLB or whoever it is, whatever brand it is you're posting on, if you have a community on, let's say on Twitter, uh, with, with your team or your brand, Part of your job in posting stuff and knowing what like what to write with the post and when to post it is you need to be able to gauge the the mood and the general feeling amongst your community online, right? So if you're if you're if you're if your team's you know Twitter fan base is particularly mad about something that day, like some move the team has made or whatever, you have to understand that like you know maybe that's not the best day to write a certain type of post or push a certain type of tweet or whatever. What I'm saying is you, you work in one of these jobs, you have to develop a, you have to be able to have sort of a sixth sense of all right, what is the mood. You have to be able to scroll through, read everybody's comments and their tweets and what they're saying today and un- kind of understand what is the general mood of our, of our community today. And I feel like at least in my job, I've gotten a pretty good hold on that. And it was interesting the other day, or the other day right after the 500, scrolling through Twitter and now looking through NASCAR Twitter. For the first time, really, at least since you and I have been doing this podcast in the last year, I've got this good feeling, like of a, a, a good vibes in NASCAR. And it wasn't just about the race in particular. I was seeing people tweeting about you. Know, they were talking about, you know, I think we're on the we're on the way up. The worst is behind us. The bottom, we we've passed it. It's over. And now we're on the way up. And that's not to say it's going to be a smooth sailing the whole way. But it was cool to see just me. And, and again, I know it's hard to quantify, but I, I swear to you, as somebody that works in social media and has for a number of years now, it's a real thing of just being able to just be able to get a sense of what is the mood, the general mood of everybody. There's always going to be somebody that's mad right. no matter what. Oh, yeah. But the general yeah. mood, it is something that is that is that exists there. And I'm telling you, it's it's good. It's really good right now in NASCAR. And I'm – I'm very hopeful that the the new rules package continues that this weekend in Atlanta. I really am. I'm ho- and by the way, I did see a little while ago. Apparently, uh, the weather is starting to look good for Sunday for for Atlanta, which is good because I think a couple of days ago they were saying it could be bad. Uh, but it looks like that's trending in the right direction. So that would be nice to not have to deal with that as well. So I, I'm excited. I'm very excited uh, to see see how Atlanta goes this weekend. It should be fun. Yeah, well, the weather's not good here in your hometown of Rockbridge. I'm sitting here looking at four inches of snow. Now it's icing on top of the snow. Oh. So, but the good news is it's supposed to be 60 degrees day after tomorrow, I think. So, so that, that that's good. Okay, that's well, good. it's not snowing but here yeah. in Atlanta. It's 40 degrees, <laughs> but it ain't snowing. So. No, yeah. but it, it, it's it's all good. I mean, it's all good, I think. Uh, the powers to be, the powers that be, I think they should be, should be very well pleased. I don't know. It's just, it, it's just almost like it's a... You know, our sport is it's formed. It seems to me like in history, so many, so many, so many storms come together, or so many things come together to to to, to produce a perfect storm, right? I mean, I've witnessed that so many times through the years with NASCAR, good and bad, and it just seems like there's so many things coming together right now that makes a perfect storm that's just going to propel us back to where we should be. Because I'm going to tell you something, and you don't, I don't know how much this gets talked about, but. I'll be honest with you, Ricky. The bottom line is this. NASCAR is a hell of a sport. <clears throat> I mean, it really is. Of course, I'm biased, and I was part of it, and I drive all that. But it's, it's just really a hell of a sport. And <clears throat> I'm not sure. I, like in the late 90s when the TV package and all hit, you know, exploded and it was so big. I wasn't sure at the time in my mind if if this thing was as how can I say it? I'm not sure that we're as relevant as as we're being portrayed to be right now because of the, the support we had, the expansion, the explosion, the amount of interest, the number of fans. I wasn't sure at that time that we were as relevant as we, as it, it, it seemed like we were trying to be, right? <clears throat> but I do know this. We're damn sure a lot more relevant, a lot more relevant than how we've been portrayed in the last few years. I do know that. Yep. <clears throat> and uh, just because... 
of the sport itself, the competition, man against man, man against machine, you know, man against each other, that, that saying used. And, you know, no matter what goes on, rule changes, uh, cars, drivers, whatever, each car with the driver out there, no matter what's going on, each driver is, is, is pushing his car to the very edge of being basically a days of thunder line, but being out of control. And that's the part that never changes. That's the pure part about our sport. It's like I told you before, Ted Williams, the famous baseball player, said, play the game for the game, right? And, and basically that's what he means. Like in, a, in the race car, you're doing everything you can as a driver every single lap to keep to make it as fast as you can go each lap without wrecking the car. And that part doesn't change. That's the part that's pure in our sport, and it doesn't matter what's going on outside of the race car. That part is pure. And for me, that that's the part of it that makes our sport so very unique and, 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 and exciting and, and captivating to people, that fans that, that really get into it and, and become involved in our sport and become vested in our sport. And that, that part, to me, is always going to be there. I don't care what's going on outside, outside of the car. That's the part that's pure, and it's always, uh, it's always what's driven our and that, that part will never change. So you're always going to have that. Everything else you make happen around it, and uh, you know it, 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 can, it can only make the good things, in my opinion. I agree. <clears throat> Couldn't have said it better myself. And, yet, and that reminds me of one other thing that uh, Dave Portnoy, again, the president of Barstool, said the other, the other day after, the, after attending the 500. Uh, and granted, he's got a partnership with NASCAR now, but still, I, I, I believe what he said. He was first saying, he's like, you know, I don't know the first thing about NASCAR. I don't necessarily understand it, but I'm all in on this now. Because after experiencing it, but then more importantly, the thing that he said the next day on Barstool Radio was, that was the most fan-friendly event I've ever, fan-friendly sports event I've ever attended in my life. Yeah. And yeah. I think that was a big selling point. It's like, yeah, this is, you go, you know, for, for my folks that are listening around here in Atlanta, go, go, go to the race this weekend. Go, just go check it out. It, it is so much fun. And you need, it's something you need to experience in person. It's like you and I have talked about this before. It's like us well, with hockey. Hockey on TV to me, back in the day at least, was never – I could never get into it. But then I went to a couple hockey games in person, and I, I was like, oh, I get it now. Okay, I get it now. This is awesome. This is fun. That's kind of the same deal with NASCAR, but except I would argue that times 100 probably because it's just a whole different experience that you, that you, should, uh, that you need to go go try out so yeah if you're if you're in the atlanta area or whatever go you know go out this weekend you know wherever NAS, nascar will be coming to a city near you somewhere this season so get out there and, and experience it one time all right dad we yeah. usually do a, a quote of the week and you know we try to one of us will try to guess who it is this isn't this is i won't say his name but you know you and everybody else listening will know who it is uh but it'll just lead us into the to the ending here of of, uh, of mass cast um Following his first, Na this is part of an article and it includes a quote. Following his first NASCAR race at Southside Speedway in suburban Richmond, Virginia, at seven years old, he quickly realized his calling. Quote, I remember leaving that racetrack that night and telling my uncles that I wanted to be a NASCAR artist. I was so amazed that night, not only by the excitement and watching those cars run around and beat and bang on each other, but also the color. How all the cars were painted so many different colors. I was like, how cool is this? I couldn't wait to get home and pull out my markers. So obviously, I'm talking about the uh, the late great Sam Bass, um, Dad. I, I you know we'll get get your thoughts and memories of of Sam Bass and his passing. I I, w I would just say for him, for me, when I was a kid, I remember you mentioned you know our, our late friend Johnny Hayes earlier. I remember like the first time going to his house in Lake Norman and seeing all these really cool Sam Bass paintings of of all the different motorsports on the wall, and I remember. Different, you know, you'd see Sam Bass posters and programs and postcards. And, you know, I was familiar with those as a little kid. And then I believe 1992 would have been the first one he did for you. Um, when you had your first Sam Bass, like, hero card or postcard, whatever you want to call them, that, that's now, that, that somebody had made into a print for you, uh, which now hangs up in your house. To me, I thought that was one of the coolest things. It's like, even as a kid, I knew who Sam Bass was and that, that Sam Bass painted a picture of you. And Richard Jackson in the one card to me was like the cool was one of the coolest things in the world. So it was just it was just a big deal. It was like a, it was a I think a, at least for me as a kid and as a fan it was like a 
a, a benchmark of pride and a source of pride that uh, you could, you know, you're featured in a Sam Bass piece of work. So, what are your th- thoughts, memories on uh, on Sam Bass? Yeah, he, you know, funny story. He he told me one time that 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 particular scheme, uh, that that car and all, that was one of the easiest for some reason for him. It was one of the easiest designs he he ever had to come up with. Right. And I don't. <clears throat> I'm not sure what that meant. Wait, wait, wait. Was, he he designed the car itself. <laughs> that was. And then, yes, yes. Oh wow. Yes. Okay, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. He said it was one of the easiest ones he he come up with. And I got to give kudos to Johnny Hayes on this, and we'll talk about Sam. But Johnny, I think Johnny was one of the ones that really helped propel, propel, yeah, propel Sam in the early days. Uh, people don't remember this, but Johnny used to sponsor something. It was called the uh, Skull Copenhagen All Pro Team, All Pro Pit Crew, in. They put some money in this thing. This was back in the 80s before my time, and they would they would have this uh, – basically what they did, Johnny had his staff fill out or, or, or do a paper, and it had it had crew chiefs in the – it had all the crew members listed on this paper, right? They had a little check mark. Well, certain people in the garage area would get this paper. They would give it to certain people they respected. They would have those guys fill out who they thought the best crew chief was that year. Who was the best right front tire changer? Who was the best gas band? Who was the best truck driver? The guy Johnny did that, uh, trying to get recognition to the, to the crew guys, because you know the drivers had all the recognition, and Johnny was kind of a normal person and everyday guy. So he wanted to recognize he wanted to recognize the, the guys in the garage area that never the fans never heard of. So the, he came up with this thing, and each year, and at the end of the year, they would do an awards banquet in Charlotte. In uh, school in Copenhagen, they would sponsor it. And it was a pretty elaborate deal, a big, nice, fancy dinner. And, you know, they'd have the presentations, and, and the guys would get the crew chief of the year, the, the engine builder of the year, or the right front tire, the, 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 the winch cleaner of the year, okay, the truck driver of the year. And they would get a nice trophy and a plaque and recognition. And it was a very neat deal. So Johnny had Sam do, start doing the first year that, that all pro print and it would have all the guys one on its print and uh that was way early in in in, in sam's career and i think in, in, in so anyhow but my point being helped sam i think get off the ground with that and sam was such a talent you know he's such he was so talented when that first stuff started coming out we're like everybody's like man you got to get this dude to do stuff you know so the the, the unique thing about sam well a couple things but one of them is sam captured if you look back and go through all his stuff, Sam Bass captured every big moment in NASCAR from when he first started up through till we lost Sam. Okay, all the big moments. You look the the I mean the the All Star races, the Night of Lights, or the oh man, the big deal at the All Star. Oh, race. Uh, was, uh, one hot night. One hot night. Yeah. That was all Sam's deal, and and then of course with. All the Hendrick drivers and the Earnhardts and his children, everybody, everybody had Sam. Everybody was wanting Sam Bass to do their stuff. So not only did he did he get all the drivers and, and cars and all the logos and sponsors and so many so much stuff by him, but he captured the big moments in NASCAR. You know that was so cool. And he he, he was just like a he was a landmark in our sport. He was a treasure. Yeah, he was a great 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 artist. What what he did. But the other side of Sam is Sam himself, personal, personally. And he was he was just, <clears throat> man, he was just like so many people in that garage area in that era. Just a very, very good person, man. When we talked about Joe Gibbs earlier, well, Sam Bass is in that same mold. Just genuine, nice, decent. Never knew an enemy far as I knew, right? And just he's just one of those people. Uh, the last time I talked to Sam was a year ago at Martinsville, and uh he was feeling good at that time, and he, I was standing there, and somebody poked me, and I turned around, and it was Sam, Sam Bass. I said, hey, Rick, how you doing? And we talked for, gosh, I bet we, I bet we talked for 20 or 25 minutes, Ricky, and it was the same Sam that I knew in, in 1990, you know, just very inquisitive about how I was doing, what was going on with me, how I felt, what was going on, and the kids, the family, and all that stuff. But that's the kind of person he was with everybody, and, uh, you know, but, but he was just so good. And I, to me, the legacy of Sam Bass, along with his personality, is, you know, capturing, capturing all those great moments of our sport all through the 90s and, and doing it, doing it with a flair that, you know, only he had. And I, I just, you know, I haven't seen it before and I haven't seen it since. I know there's somebody out there that can duplicate what he, he did. 
but uh, he was he was he was one of a kind in that respect, man. Yeah, I think, and I'm certainly not an art critic or a, a huge like art <coughs> connoisseur necessarily. But one thing you could say about Sam's work was when you saw a Sam Bass painting, you didn't have to look and look at a down the corner to see a signature no. or look at a plate. You no. knew it was Sam Bass. He had a style; it no. was all his own, and you knew exactly yes. who painted it. He, I mean, he had his niche. Yes. And you start looking, you know, after he passed, I was reading up a little bit on him because I mean, I, obviously, I've known like knew who he was my whole life and knew familiar with his work i wasn't as familiar with i was more familiar with his prints and the artwork and like you said the all-star race in 92 the one hot night that was a classic one and so many different things that he commemorated with his work i wasn't as familiar with the, like even just now i didn't realize he designed the the one skull car i had no idea yeah i was not as familiar with the with the paint schemes the the biggest one he, he designed obviously would be the jeff gordon 24 dupont car that's that's right so he designed that car that wasn't just that's right. he designed that car and this to me was the coolest though uh thing that he his hero as a kid was was bobby allison and the first paint scheme that he ever designed was Bobby's uh, Miller High Life car in 1988, and its first time out there, the first time on the track with that paint scheme, he won the Daytona 500. That's the the famous one with with Bobby and Davey, you know, where they finished right. one two. And right. I thought that how cool right. is that that he not only got to design his hero's car, but the hero wins the Daytona 500 in that paint scheme. That was that was pretty cool. So if you don't if you don't know much about Sam Bass, I definitely highly recommend you know going out and just. Just Google him, go online, go on his website, and check out a lot of his work. It's it's a huge part of the history of NASCAR, and he definitely left his mark. So with that being said, Dad, uh, I guess you can just uh, you know hang out there at the house since you're snowed in. Um, it sounds like I I've think heard. I'm gonna go. I think I'm gonna go ahead and make some snow cream. There you go. There you go. That'll we be got, good. We yeah. got we got some sugar. We got some milk. We got some vanilla extract, and maybe. This stuff ain't, I'm looking at it right now. We're homebound. It's not going to melt. So maybe by maybe five or six, we'll spike up that snow cream just a little bit. Oh, of course, this is go. a this is this is hump day, right? Yeah, this is Wednesday. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, you could spice up. I might spice up one bowl of it. Spike it. Spike it. Spike it just a little bit. All right. Well, have fun with that. And let me know how it goes. And uh, but I'll the... tell you another story, Rick. Yeah. Everybody's wanting to know about our animals. Yeah, we've added another. We've added now. I added another fox to the litter. Oh. Yeah. You know, we have. We have. We have. Well, I tell you what. The skunks had a little litter. We got little babies. They're running around. But we got one albino skunk now. Okay. Okay. And we, of course, we got the family of possums. But with mm-hmm. with the, with the fox, we now have a second fox. So if 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 you time it just right and you look out the back before we feed the outdoor cats, mm-hmm. you can see all the animals. I'm trying my best to get a picture of all of them at one time, you know, the whole family. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's the damnedest thing, the cat's right in the middle of it, you know, and the fox beside them, the skunk beside them, the possum beside that, and they're all happily eating eating their, their nightly supper. It's a it's a beautiful melting pot you got going on back there. Yes, it really it is. is. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes, it is. Absolutely. Yes, it is. All right, well, I'll be on the lookout for that. And if you if you do take one, you can tweet it from at RickMast22, and I'll retweet it from at RickyMast. How about that? Does that work? Sounds good, dude. All right, Sounds- All right Dad. Thanks for, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. If you haven't already uh, reviewed us or given us a positive review, we'd greatly appreciate it. And a five-star rating, we appreciate that as well. And just tweet about us. Tell us, uh, you know, tell a friend who likes NASCAR to check us out or put it on your Instagram story or whatever you want to do. However you can help uh Help get us more people listening to MassCast. We greatly appreciate it. And uh, thank you, as always, for listening. And uh, we'll see you next time.